You're listening to the Clergy Chick Podcast. My name is Rhonda Blevins. I'm the Clergy Chick. From March the 1st, 2020, at Chapel by the Sea in Clearwater Beach, Florida, the text is Matthew chapter 4, verses 1 through 11. Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. He fasted 40 days and 40 nights, and afterwards he was famished. The tempter came to him and said, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. But he answered, It is written, One does not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city and placed him on the pinnacle of the temple, saying to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, He will command his angels concerning you, and on their hands they will bear you up, so that you will not dash your foot against a stone. Jesus said to him, Again it is written, Do not put your Lord your God to the test. And again the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. And he said to him, All these I will give you if you will fall down and worship me. Jesus said to him, Away with you, Satan, for it is written, Worship the Lord your God and serve only him. And then the devil left him, and suddenly angels came and waited on him. So the first Sunday of Lent, one of the traditions is to give something up for Lent, right, to fast. And one of the common ways to fast is to give up eating meat on Fridays. Anybody giving up meat for Fridays? Nobody? Really? Okay, maybe one or two. Surprised by that. You guys never cease to surprise me. That's, That's one of the common ways to fast during the season of Lent. And I heard about a guy, a Protestant guy, his name was Sam, and he moved into a very Catholic neighborhood, and Lent began, and one Friday night, he went out and started grilling a big steak, filet mignon, and the smell of filet mignon wafted throughout the neighborhood, making all of his Catholic brothers and sisters pretty hungry as they were eating their cold tuna fish. And every Friday during Lent, this was happening, and the guys of the neighborhood got together, and they were like, what can we do about this? Man, this is, this is tough. He's making it really, really hard on us. So they came up with a plan, and they went over to say hello to Sam, and they decided to try to convince Sam to become Catholic so that he wouldn't tempt them during Lent. And to their great surprise, Sam said, oh, that's a great idea. Yeah, I'll, I'll become Catholic. And so they brought him to church with him when one Sunday, and he talked to the priest, and after all the process, he became baptized. And the priest baptized Sam, saying, you were born a Baptist, you were raised Baptist, and now you are a Catholic, sprinkling him with the baptismal waters. Well, the next Lent came around, and uh, first Friday happened, and all the folks are settling in the neighborhood, eating their cold tuna fish. And what do they smell but steak on the grill. 
You're like, what happened? What? Maybe he doesn't know it's Lent. He's new to this thing. So, so the guys got together and went over to see what Sam was doing and why he was cooking a steak on the first Friday of Lent. And so they went up and they saw something kind of unusual. There was a pitcher of water and Sam with his steak on the grill. And Sam took some water and was sprinkling on the steak. <laughs> and he said, you were born a cow. You were raised a cow, and now you are a fish. <laughs> Is anybody hungry? Sorry. Well, whether or not you're fasting or whatever you're taking up or letting go of during the season of Lent, on the first Sunday of Lent, the lectionary always brings us to the story of Jesus in the desert and his wilderness temptations. And the tempter comes around and tests Jesus three times. And the first one is the most subtle. He's not in, eaten for 40 days, so he's pretty darn hungry. And the tempter says, oh, just, come on, just turn this stone into bread. Nobody's here. Who's going to know? Just, just turn it into bread. And it's a pretty strong temptation after not eating for 40 days. And besides, if he could turn stone into bread, well, he could feed hungry people. He might even be single-handedly able to eradicate hunger altogether if he could turn a stone into bread. But it didn't work. Jesus said, no. Nah. And so the tempter took Jesus and set him on the pinnacle of the temple. So jump from here. Prove to everyone what a miracle worker you are. And that was pretty tempting because if he could do that, if he could jump from the temple and not die, well, man, what a following he could get. How much impact could he have with that kind of a following? Just jump from the temple. But Jesus said, nah. And so Satan took him and set him on the high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the earth and said, bow down and worship me and this can all be yours. The riches, the power, the sovereignty. And that's pretty tempting. Think of the influence he could have then if he were sovereign over all the earth and had all the riches available to him. But again, Jesus said, no. Now, the other passage of Scripture we read from the book of Genesis, the tempter came up to Eve and said, Oh, this is beautiful fruit. And if you eat of this fruit, oh, you will have all knowledge, knowledge of good and evil. You won't die. What? That's crazy. Come on, eat. And you know what happened there. A few years ago, my oldest son was... I think he was about six years old, and after church one Sunday, I asked him, well, what did you learn in Sunday school today? And so he began to tell me that they, he had learned the story of Adam and Eve and being tempted by, by the serpent. And he said, so, so, so there was this man and this woman, Adam and Eve, and they were in a garden, and they weren't supposed to eat of the one tree, but the, the servant came and tipped them. Can you believe they ate that fruit? The servant told them to eat it, and he ate it. And of course, me and all of my <clears throat> Dr. Rhonda wisdom, I said, oh, honey, don't you mean serpent? And he said, oh, no, no, it was the servant, for sure. Well, he was a little confused about who the tempter was, 
And I want to suggest that maybe we all are confused about who the tempter is. You see, that's the, that's the game. That's the tempter's game. The tempter doesn't come to us in a little red pajamas wielding a pitchfork, right? The tempter comes disguised in subtle ways, in coy ways. And so maybe, maybe we don't murder our neighbor that's annoying, but we'll certainly talk about him. And maybe we don't go and intentionally set forest fires, but maybe we take a little more of the earth's resources than is rightfully ours. It's subtle. The temptations don't come appearing as evil, but just as something that's okay. It's beautiful fruit, don't you think? Theologian Marietta Anschutz says it like this. She says, temptation comes to us in moments when we look at others and feel insecure about not having enough. Temptation comes in judgments we make about strangers or friends who make choices we don't understand. Temptation rules us, making us able to look away from those in need and to live our lives unaffected by poverty, hunger, and disease. Temptation rages in moments when we allow our tempter to define our lives, when addiction to wealth, power, influence over others, vanity, or an inordinate need for control defines who we are. Temptation wins when we engage in the justification of little lies, small sins, a racist joke, a questionable business practice for the greater good, a criticism of a spouse or partner when he or she is not around. These are the faceless moments of evil that, while mundane, lurk in the recesses of our lives and our souls. So today we have two stories, Adam and Eve in the garden, and Jesus in the wilderness. Why did Adam and Eve yield to temptation? And how did Jesus withstand it? After 40 days of not eating physically, how was he able to withstand the temptation? I want you to go back to the story of Jesus and think about how he responded to each of the three temptations presented to him. He didn't just say, nah. He responded with Scripture all three times. He had so immersed his life in the things of God that when he was at his weakest, he could still rely on the strength of having immersed himself in God and in God's Word. Now, I grew up Southern Baptist, and one of the things that Southern Baptists do really well is they teach their kids to memorize the Bible. And one of the ways that they do this is through, it's kind of a game, it's called sword drill, or you might call it a Bible drill, where they pit kids against each other and memorizing scripture, and I was always really bad at it. <laughs> and they pit kids against each other in this sword drill. And the reason it's called a sword drill, it's taken from a beautiful passage of scripture in the book of Ephesians, where the word of God is likened to a sword. 
It says in Ephesians, finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his power. Put on the whole armor of God so that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. So fasten the belt of truth around your waist. Put on the breastplate of righteousness. As shoes for your feet, put on whatever will make you ready to proclaim the gospel of peace. And with all of these, take up the shield of faith with which you will be able to quench all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. So how did Jesus resist the temptation? How was he strong even though he was weak? Jesus' strength was revealed in the fact that he had on the armor of God there in the desert. Jesus' strength was revealed in a difficult time, and let me suggest that yours can be too. So where do you get this armor of God? Can you buy it on Amazon.com? Can you go to Tarjay and pick up the sword of the Spirit? No. The armor of God is immersing yourself in the things of God, like, like going into your prayer closet on a regular basis. Not necessarily literally, but figuratively. Praying. Finding yourself among the poor and the marginalized. Serving. Coming to church as a discipline, this is a spiritual discipline of worshiping with the saints so that you are bolstered up in your faith. You're putting on the armor of God just by being here today. And so when the temptation comes, you can find yourself equipped, armored, ready, and the only offensive weapon is the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. season of Lent, as I told people coming through on Ash Wednesday, is about turning our lives just a little bit more intentionally to God and the things of God and letting go of anything preventing us from living into the fullness of who God is calling us to be. How do we do that? One more scripture, this time from the book of Philippians. Finally, beloved, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is pleasing, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence and if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. That's how you withstand the flaming arrows from the evil one. That's how your strength will be revealed in the difficult moments. And finally, do you remember what happened at the end of the story? The angels came and attended to Jesus. God took care of him. And God will take care of you.
Thanks for tuning in to the Clergy Chick Podcast. Until next time, keep on shining.